Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, the host around these parts. Thanks so much for tuning in today, for giving us a, a slice of your time. I know as a pastor, you're super busy. you got a lot going on in your world. So I just really value the fact that you take some time uh, to listen in on this conversation today. And you're not going to be disappointed. I have been really looking forward to this conversation for a few weeks now. Uh, we've got William Vanderblumen on uh, the phone. Super excited to have him. If you don't know William, I know, hope by the end of this call, you'll want to get to know him uh, a little bit uh, more and all with everything his organization does. So William, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. It's an honor to be here. Really glad to see what you're doing with Unseminary. I think it's a, a need that's going to be filled. I've got a, a kid who our oldest is a rising junior in college. He oh, wants nice. to go into ministry and I'm like, well, the last thing you need to do is go the traditional hour. <laughs> so he's probably listening today and, and will be for a while. I think it's an awesome idea and, and really glad to see it working. Ah, so great. I, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for, uh, for the encouragement there, William. Well, for people that don't know you, why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Give us a sense of, of who you are. <laughs> sure. So um, I am, uh, I tell people I'm a recovering pastor, which means uh, <laughs> that this is probably going to be a little long-winded, but you told me four, four hours, right? Yeah, something four, like that. Yeah. Until, until the computer runs out. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, no, I pastor churches uh, for about 15 years and was in the main line in the Presbyterian Church. That's just where I grew up. I was in a pretty evangelical uh, sort of kingdom advancing church and just went into what I grew up in. Didn't know any better, had never heard of anything like the Willow Creeks or Liquid Churches or anything in the world. Uh, and really was kind of, a, uh, I think, probably a little bit of a misfit. I, if you looked at my contact list or friend list, uh, while I was pastoring, if you were nice, you would say he has a diverse set of friends. And if you were not nice, you'd say he's schizophrenic. Uh, so nice. uh, uh, just developed this really crazy network of friends, um, left ministry in the wake of a divorce, which mm. is not something I'd recommend, <laughs> but uh, you don't always get to choose everything in life. And uh, went into the corporate world. I uh, worked for a Fortune 200 oil and gas company and helped them with succession planning, talent retention. Uh, they were all great men that were leading the company. I made great money, and it was the first year I'd ever maxed out my vacation time. I, I didn't know what hump day was till I went into that job. It was just awful. So long story short, God brought those two streams of experience together. And I got to train under an executive search consultant at, uh, that had been at Russell Reynolds, which is sort of one of the best ones in the world. And at, with the crazy idea of trying to build an executive search practice for churches. Mm. Uh, and the guy that taught me said, um, you're going to try and help churches find staff and then they're going to pay you based on what they pay their people. I said, yeah, he said, you know, you're you're going to be like broke, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, well, let's give it a try because I, I just love pastors. I love churches. And uh, gosh, that seems like a lifetime ago when we started. And now we're working all over the world uh, internationally, mostly in the U.S. and with uh, churches big and small. 
Uh, and now I do know why God put that diverse or schizo network together. It's kind of all been leading up to uh, this this uh, chapter of life. So it's just a lot of fun, very humbling to get to help connect a church to their next pastor or key pastoral staff member. Right. You know, I think um, I, I didn't know. I forgot about the Presbyterian deal. That actually that connects with my story. I was uh, that I was actually a Presbyterian church that God got a hold of uh, my life and our family's life. It just totally turned us upside down. We ended up at this church and the guy at the church talked like he actually believed the Bible was true, which I remember as a, I was an eighth grade kid. And I'm like, wow, this is different. Like, I think that guy actually believed that stuff, which was, uh, you know, which is the same kind of thing. Evangelical Presbyterian church. It was huge, had huge influence uh, on us. So, uh, so and owe a lot to those, uh, those years for sure. Well, well, William, you sit in a really unique place in the kingdom. You know, you have um, kind of insight into a lot of different churches across a bunch of different streams. I I am intrigued when I see, uh, you know, I follow you and, and your organization on Twitter and get your emails. And whenever I, you know, just kind of dip in and see all the different streams, the kinds of churches that are coming to you. It really is a wide spectrum, um, all different kinds of organizations, which I think is great. Um, but what would you say when you look kind of to the next 15 years, would you say is kind of a big issue on the horizon that as church leaders, we need to be thinking about? Yeah, well, I've got a, a, a book coming out right mm-hmm. now. And if you, anyone out there has written a book before, you know, I am the guy that just has a hammer, so everything looks like a nail. Right? <laughs> right. So, uh, we wrote a book on pastoral transitions, mm-hmm. and really, we set out to write it. I wrote it. The co-author is Warren Bird, who's mm-hmm. a researcher for uh, Leadership Network, yep. and is a and a researcher extraordinaire. Yeah, Warren's been on the show. He's a fantastic guy. Fantastic Great guy. guy. And uh, we studied about 500 churches. Wow. We did close to 200 uh, in-person interviews with succession stories uh, and we started by thinking you know what what's gonna happen when Rick and Bill retire you know right. when, when Saddleback and Willow have to face paying the light bill without having the founders right. and, and I'm not those are both great guys and have been mentors to me so not anything critical in saying that but oh, yeah, I get that. It, they they are sort of the the the, the pioneers of an era Mm-hmm. And that era has got a lot of guys that are getting a little bit older. And so it's like, what happens next? You know, mm-hmm. 15 years from now, the average age for the senior pastor of a megachurch is 51 years old. So okay. 15 years from now, it's not 51 anymore unless right. they're not megachurches. So uh, we really started to ask the question, what are the common denominators in successions that have gone well? Hmm. Uh, what are the common denominators and ones that haven't gone well? We talked to everybody. We talked to the Schuler family from the Crystal Cathedral. Oh, you know, wow. they're bankrupt now and gone. Yep. Uh, we talked to everyone who did not work out at First Baptist Dallas after Dr. Criswell retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked to uh, the Stockstills in Baton Rouge who have now done father to son three times and it's worked well. So uh, we really found some some cool things happening. but. One thing we realized was uh, pastors on average spend about 18 years serving churches in their ministry. Mm. And they have an average stay at their church of eight years, just across all senior pastor or head pastor, solo pastor, Mm -hmm. not student pastor, children pastor, such. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on average, 
a pastor is going to transition at least twice during their career. Right. So it's really not just about uh, how do I prepare for when the guy who started the church and has been here forever leaves. It's it's a book that we hope will prepare everybody. And and the big idea behind the book was something that dawned on me one day. I was talking to a, a pastor and he said, well, I'm ready for a change. And I was like, what do you want to do? And he said, oh, man, I'll do youth ministry. I'll do children's ministry. I'll do... I'll do anything except one thing. What's that? He said, I will not be an interim pastor, you know, the kind of intentional right. interim. And I don't, it just kind of came out of me. I said, you know what? Every pastor mm. is an interim pastor. Mm. Wow, that's true. It's like, unless you close the doors of your church. <laughs> right? Unless you're the church planner, it grows up, and then you close it. You, right. you can shut it down. Uh, Jesus could return. That's yep. another option, right? Yep. But yep. beyond those two, you Someone's coming after you. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think I, it's more than you wanted to hear, but it's it's no, no, absolutely cool to learn. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a great principle. You know, I remember when my very first pastorate uh, with the, you know, one of the things that my my senior pastor said. I remember it was one of those things that resonated. He said, you know what, this church belongs to the people that we're serving before we got here, and it belongs to them after we leave. And right. so our job is to steward it, um, which I was like, yeah, that's an interesting thought. But I think the idea there of stewarding this, we have a, a time, a generation that our job is to hold it well, um, even if that's a long time, um, but we're going to pass it on. Now, were there a few kind of nuggets? Now, obviously, ultimately, we want people to buy the book, so don't give away everything. <laughs> but And you obviously can't in a few minute interview. But what were those few things that kind of maybe sure. first on the on the the person transitioning, the kind of individual transitioning, what were some of those things that you learned through this process? Sure. Well, and I don't know uh, if you want to send this out to your readers, but I can send you a link to one of the uh, chapters of the book. That, oh, perfect. Frankly, I think is the best chapter in the book. It's <laughs> right. the, the Ten Commandments of Succession Planning. Okay, and, cool. And, yeah. You know, one thing we found out um, is there there is no cookie cutter. So if you're talking to a consultant or a denominational leader or whoever that says, well, here are the seven steps to success, well, it's just not that way because you're dealing with people uh, and people are living, changing organisms and you're dealing with a body of people in the church and a pastor. So there is no one thing. Uh, we, did, we did learn a few things that uh, came out kind of as cardinal rules. Uh, one is the earlier you start planning, the better. Hmm. In the corporate world, we found that, it, you know, there's a lot of uh, 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 public trading regulations. Sorbanes-Oxley is an act that went through. Hmm. And a lot, a lot of companies have said, okay, it is now a requirement that we have a succession plan, you know, oh, for public yep. trust. Yep. And uh, several companies we studied, yeah, several companies we studied uh, had when the new CEO arrives and has his first board meeting, the first agenda item is the succession plan. Wow! Like, welcome to town. What are we gonna do when you're gone? So, <laughs> not, it's not exactly the old church pounding that we used to get. You know, and the pastor arrived to town and, and everybody filled the house with goods. But uh, a church that. <laughs> A church that's willing to have that conversation early is is a smart church. They're rare, but they're out there. Hmm. Um, a couple of nuggets that we found that prevent mm -hmm. good good successions is that uh, it, one is just money. Okay, and that's on both sides of the equation that that churches don't pay pastors enough, and pastors don't manage their funds well. 
And so, you know, we, we feel like we put some good pointers in the book about how a church board can provide financial planning for the pastor, how they can make sure they're paying the right amount. Because, you know, they're trying to steward the, the offerings out of the widow's cupboard. Yeah. But, uh, at the same time, you've got to pay them well enough that they can retire. Right. 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 Um, and then the other, the other thing that we found was uh, really smart churches, somewhere around 50 or 55, more like 55 for most pastors, there tends to be a common theme that they develop uh, sort of an avocation or an area of passion. Maybe it's a, a, a mission cause abroad somewhere that they've been working with for a while or a children's home or uh, teaching at a seminary or something right. like that. Um, lots of churches, normal response is, you don't need to do that. We need to have all your attention. Mm. Smart churches let that grow. Mm. And and create more and more time for it, so that when it's time to transition, they've got somewhere to go. Right. They've got an identity because you know there's no profession I know that consumes your identity <laughs> like the pastorate. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's where you do social networking. It's where you have friendships. It's where you do your spiritual life. It's I mean it's it's all in right. right. Right, and uh, a loss of identity is a is a big problem for guys that leave, and mm -hmm. it tends to be why they come back and micromanage. But the real secret that you know we we probably could have gotten in a lot of trouble if we'd have written more about. <laughs> um, and so, no tweeting this right, but really smart churches take great care of the outgoing pastor's spouse. Mm. Oh, that's a that's great. Hmm. Uh, I could tell you horror stories of successions, right. and, and there's a direct line from all the wreckage back to the outgoing pastor's spouse. Yeah. Either wasn't treated well or didn't feel right or lost wasn't all. honored, didn't, they didn't do anything on the way out. Or, yeah, I, yeah. I, can, I can identify with that. I know in my life I've joked that the voice of the Lord sounds very similar to the voice of my wife. You know, there's a, there's a strong correlation between those two. <laughs> Um, and I think that's true. You know, I, I can see that, um, you know, for sure. Right. And, you know, uh, First Baptist Dallas had uh, Dr. Criswell forever, like, mm -hmm. you know, nearly 50 years, something, right. some crazy number like that. Before him was Dr. Truett, mm. uh, Truett Seminary, right? Mm -hmm. And he was there about the same amount of time. So, wow. you Two know, for like in 100 years, something like that. It's like 90 years. It's long, whatever yeah. it is. So we, I didn't know. We found some research that showed that when Dr. Criswell got there, he almost didn't make it. Like it was pretty oh, rocky wow. for a while. Huh. And, and the, one of the key turning points, and you might have some people that disagree, but, but one of the key turning points was Miss Truett reached out to Miss Criswell and said, let's make this work. Really? Wow, that's fascinating. Well, you can see that, right? That just practically makes sense, right? That's like one of those, yeah, you can see that. That makes sense. You know, what are the yeah. question? So, um, you know, I, uh, a lot of, I'm in my 40s. I'm a 40-something. And I look around and my peers are a lot of the 40-something uh, folks. And one of the things I've noticed is churches, it seems like a lot of churches that are led by people, particularly in that time frame, they kind of, folks come into their 40s and like their churches are super innovative. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And then they leave their 40s and it's they're not doing that anymore. There's a bit more atrophy has set in. There's a bit more, um, you know, whether we become less risk taking. I don't know, you know, wh why that is. But 
you know, what would you say to a church leader, even in their 40s, which is still a couple decades off from, you know, that kind of transition? Are there things they could be doing to prepare even now uh, for that kind of transition? Boy, that is so insightful, Rich. Uh, you know, we did a study a while back. We need to do it again with a, a much bigger sampling. But we, we asked the question, knowing God can use a man or woman whenever God, he chooses to, what are the normal times that he lays his hand on a pastor and says, this is the sweet spot, right? right, right. Josiah was eight when he was king. Abram was a bajillion when he started Israel. <laughs> right. but, but what's the more, mm-hmm. yeah, right, yeah. So, so we study church growth charts and pastors' ages. When you see the spike in growth, I, I can show you the pastor's fortieth birthday. It's like really? predictable. It's just, huh. it's like they're they're young enough. They've got fire in the belly, but they're not twenty five. You know, I yeah. took a big church when I was thirty one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the advantage of doing that when you're 31 is you know everything, right? <laughs> so at 31, you think you know everything. By the time you're 40, yeah. by the time you're 40, you, you've gotten knocked around enough that it's a nice combination. So 40 is a great start point. Hmm. Uh, so if you keep going down that study, I can show you the pastor's 55th birthday wow. every time. Huh. I told, That's fascinating. Some of them go longer. I mean, Ed Young turns 80, I think, this year, maybe next, and he's still taking steps two at a time and killing it. Right. Steve Furtick's just over 30, and he's killing it. So right. you know, it, 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 there are anomalies, but there's this coast thing that happens. And I don't want to go all super spiritual, mm-hmm. but if you look in the Bible, you know, you, th- you, hear, you tell your volunteers as a pastor all the time, retirement isn't biblical, right? right. right. Well, it is. Mm. Retirement's mentioned one time in the Bible. Okay. And it was mandatory and it was for the priests. Oh. Uh, and yeah. and it was at fifty-five. Mm-hmm. And David, they quit wandering around the wilderness. David changed it to sixty. Mm-hmm. And the reason behind it was, of course, they're carrying the tabernacle, right? So but if you think of it spiritually a little bit, yep. the weight of carrying the things of God becomes too much for a man after a certain age. Right. Huh. That's fascinating. That's uh, that, it's interesting because that I've, uh, you know, that whole forty thing has been something that's been resonating, and you could see that right at some point. Um, you know, like there's guys you mentioned it. Like I, you know, I look at a guy like Bill Hybels, who we all stand on his shoulders in one way or another, and I'm like, I'm looking forward to the day he gets to retire, <laughs> right? Because it's like, you know, at some point you're like, do you really want to get up and preach one more sermon? You know, do you really want to well, be another service? And and the other thing we found is. You know, the the biggest fear people have in life is public speaking, right? Mm. You know, the old Seinfeld yes, line, right. higher than death. They, yes, they'd rather right. be the subject of the funeral than, than <laughs> yes. the funeral speaker, right? Yes, yes. Well, for a man to have an ability to get up and speak every week and say, God says this for your life, that's right. big, right? Yeah, that's huge. The shadow side of that is the voice that whispers in your ear saying, you got one more season. Right. Right. We named it in the book. In the book, we named it Brett Favre syndrome. I think what you can do to prevent that is have an honest annual conversation with your board. Set metrics. What are the things we're going to do so that when plateau hits, we've all said this is a plateau, and right. what are we going to do about it? Oh gosh, that's huge. Repeat what you just said there, because I think that's huge for all of us. 
Well, I think the smart board, if you're a young pastor and the pastor is going to have to lead the conversation, the board's not going to do it. And it, unless you're in like a toxic situation, right. smart pastors in their 40s will say, all right, guys, let's get together. Let's set some metrics. Hmm. And it might be spiritual growth. It might be baptisms, whatever right. the metrics are. Set those metrics now to say when these stop growing, we know we're in that plateau where I'm at the spot where we need to either undergird the staff with some younger people or I need to move in a different role, but let's name it ahead of time so it's not a surprise when it happens. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Let's jump into the lightning round. This is that part of the show where we ask similar questions to everybody who's been on the show just to kind of get a sense of what's happening uh, in their life. So today we're super privileged to have William Vanderblumen from Vanderblumen Search Group on, is it is it Vanderblumen Search Group? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, on the show. And uh, so what is one online resource that you're using these days that's helping you out in your work? You version. Okay. Nice. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be written about 500 years from now, but nice. there's more Bible reading done with that than anything ever. And I use it every single day. Perfect. Uh, what's a book besides your book that you've read in the last six months, six months that's had, uh, you know, an impact on your thinking? Uh, one book that we use around our office, and we use it as part of our onboarding because we try and offer a really high level of service mm -hmm. uh, at a cost churches can afford, but I mean like a ridiculously high level of service, uh, is a book that was written by the management team of the Ritz-Carlton. Mm -hmm. It's called The New Gold Standard, and it just talks about how they drive quality from the top of the C-suite all the way down to the sous chef, and uh, we've, we found it to be really helpful for what we're trying to do. Very cool. Uh, what's another ministry that you're looking at these days that's kind of inspiring you? Dave Ramsey. Mm. So uh, Dave, we went to his conference when uh, we were first starting out our business and uh, his conference on how to run a business. Mm. And he's since become a mentor, friend, and, a, and actually one of our larger clients now. Yeah, I've noticed that. You guys have done some placements, some pretty high-level placements for them, uh, which is cool. Um, if you could get 15 minutes with any leader alive in the entire world, uh, who would you want to get that time with and, you know, why? Uh, probably, this is going to sound crazy, everybody's going to yeah. hang up and you're going to lose subscriptions, but it's, <laughs> I'm going to say, Tony Robbins. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good, good choice. Not, not because I like watching Shallow Howl or anything like that. You know, it's, uh, he, uh, he is... He is mentoring more world-class leaders than anyone else that I know. Mm. And so I would love to have 15 minutes with him uh, just to, to glean. He's also got great teeth. You know, he's got those nice He has fantastic teeth. <laughs> All right. So when you're just looking to have fun, kind of kick back, you're not, you know, you're done placing people for the day. What do you do for fun? How do you relax? You know, have some fun. Uh, well, we have seven kids. So we... <laughs> You know, relax and fun. It, we love our family, but you know, uh, um, with with seven kids, you can guess what we do for fun, right? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But, uh, yeah, nice. uh, we used I used to swing a golf club a little bit, but not much anymore. Nice. All right, so William, if people want to get in touch with you, um, you know, or your organization, how can they do that? What's the best way for them to be in touch or to find the yes, book? We'll put a link on the on the on the you know show notes. But well, how can they do that? Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's super simple. You just go to vanderblumen.com. And I mean, <laughs> on the off chance that your people don't know how to spell that, just <laughs> remote. Right. Uh, go to findourleader.com. Nice. Uh, okay. And for the book, 
they can go to nextpastor.com. You know, we went to a brand specialist when we started the firm. We bought probably 300 domain domain names, find our pastor, all these different things. And they did their study and came back and said, you know what? Your last name is so screwed up, it works. (laughs) Nice. That's fun. Yeah. Well, that's cool. William, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks so much for taking time out and, and for sharing. And I encourage people to go out and grab the book and, and read it. And, and I think it really will have an impact, uh, hopefully for you know years to come. Thanks a lot, Rich. Really Thank- appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.